0: Hey everybody, this is Uncle Dad, and welcome to episode 10 of Uncle Dad Talks. We have a very special episode for you guys today. But before I get to that, I want to quickly introduce that first song you just heard, or I guess the intro song. Uh, That song is going to be Manhattan Twist by Avocado Junkie, and you can get that from Soundstripe.com. Soundstripe.com has been a great sponsor of ours, and I can't stress this enough. If you are a creator of any kind, YouTube, podcast, video, whatever you want to make, I cannot recommend Soundstripe enough. If you go to their website and just sign up even just for a month, if you use our promo code UncleDadTalks10, that's 10 thats one zero, you will get 10% off your first month subscription. So if you think about it, it's basically like a free song or two. So that's a pretty good deal, I'd say. Uh, Check them out. I think you really like it. I cannot recommend them enough. Yeah, with uh, you know, today's episode is going to be a special one. I don't want to give too much away, but I will say this is very much an opinionated episode from a lot of parties. There may be some things you don't agree with. There may be some things that you hear I say you don't agree with. There may be things that our guest says that you don't agree with. But I just want to say it's all about understanding and listening to people's views and opinions. Everybody is entitled to have an opinion. Whether you agree with that or not, that's up to you. But at least you can hear them out and maybe get the understanding as to why someone can feel whatever way they do, whether it's negative or positive um but i think today today's episode is going to be a special one for everybody uh with that being said uh please enjoy our guest our interview with uh, mindy wheeler mindy wheeler is a very rise, a very big rising star in the world of comic books uh she currently is doing the vampire the vampirella 50th anniversary for dynamite comics a uh, very big deal uh, go check her out. We'll have her links in the uh, the song description below. Yes, without further ado, let me, get, let me hand it over back to myself and back to Baby Gabe, and I will see you guys next week. Uh, Mindy, welcome to Uncle Dad Talks. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Um, we will actually just this is, this is go straight to it. Um, when did the journey to comic books start?
1: That's a good question. Um, So it's funny, because I've always drawn. um, And my parents, in fact, encouraged me to be a visual artist very young. Um, And I only read a few comic books when I was a kid, because I didn't really go to the comic shop. So I read like a couple (laughs) animes, I did read a little bit of Spawn. Nice. And I thought it was fascinating. But my real... Journey into comics started more so when I was older. I had just met my or I met my husband about a year before, and he didn't even know that I drew at all. Okay, which is funny because we were already married (laughs) a year. (laughs) But I had given up art because there was so much life that got in the way. I gave I given up uh, art completely for about seven years. I hadn't even drawn anything. And we had um, some car problems. Our car was broken down, and we needed some extra money or something to, um, to get the repairs done. So he said, let's go to Comic-Con. I happen to have a Walking Dead uh, sketch cover number one or something in the nice. closet. I can sell and make some money for our car repairs. I had no idea he collected comics <laughs> either. <laughs> It was just this one book in his closet that I guess he traded his whole collection for that I mean, that's one. That's a pretty good oh,
0: wow. book to have. Yeah, <laughs> It was a
1: good book. Yeah. And so he took me to Comic-Con and I was just walking up and down the aisles in awe of all of the fan art yeah. thinking, whoa, this is really cool. I didn't know that I could, I mean, I can draw. I love to draw. I didn't know that there was a place where people could even come to do this. And I started talking with people and they were like, yeah, I flew in on an airplane from Minnesota and I'm drawing Pikachu, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, why, why have I not found this before? So then I got really into the arts and the comic books and my husband showed me like all the books that were worth reading. He taught me a lot about the industry. And then I just, we just both really got involved. You know, we started going to shows. I started talking to the other comic book artists and learning a bunch about it. And um found my favorite artist or two you know and just tested the waters and then about a year later i was uh i had my first booth with about four pieces of art up.
0: Wow! And roughly what year is this
1: uh this was i think my first booth was in 2014 okay. it, and, I, yeah and I this so. is
0: at the the big show comic-con right the big comic-con
1: that wasn't at San Diego. San Diego was uh, in 2015, okay. I think, and 16. I went to those shows as an artist. Yes. Okay. okay.
0: Awesome. Uh, you said that he introduced you uh, to some uh, comics. Which ones did he introduce you to?
1: Well, Walking Dead, of course. Of course. But then right. he also was telling me about like the old X-Men books that nice. he liked and um, kind of introducing me. The first books that I kind of like picked up for myself were a bunch of trade paperbacks of Harley Quinn okay and um you know batman stories i love batman and the whole gotham universe um yeah nice so yeah a spawn i definitely showed his my my husband's favorite books are like the darkness
2: Ooh, and good call. um good call yeah the
1: cow, old yeah. Sylvester stuff so yeah. he definitely showed me all that and um dawn i really like dawn by Linsner. Uh, i you actually not
0: familiar with that title dawn
1: it's i've i love the art i haven't been able to follow each story sequentially so it's just kind of been like a hit and miss as far as the story goes but um just absorbing the art terry dodson adam hughes McFarlane, sylvester um a a few others there's just a lot there's so much inspiration so i just kind of like like a sponge (laughs) but for me it was more about the art than the stories so right so my husband's more of the story guy, which is funny because he uh, was an English major in college for a while. So he's like, he's more of the writer and I'm more of the artist. And we both kind of like, <laughs> That's
0: just, awesome. you know, have you guys written a book together? Huh? Have you guys written a book together? We're about to. Okay. Awesome.
1: Yeah. We're starting our own publishing company here. And, awesome. uh We've got a writer or two on board and uh, we're getting some artists on board and I've got some comic shops I already work with that are interested in carrying the books. So very cool. soon, soon it will be launched crowdfunding at first, and then we're going to go pretty much immediately into the comic shops.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I don't want to jump too far ahead of the story now. So let's go back to 2015. (laughs) Uh, 2015, you get your table. Uh, What is that like having your own table for the first time at Comic-Con?
1: Wow, well, San Diego was almost overwhelming. Um, Actually, before I, been, I
0: forget, where where are you originally from?
1: I was in Arizona. Arizona. So gotcha. I'm, I'm Canadian and American, but um, I met my husband. We were both living in Arizona at the time. Awesome. And okay. we lived there for okay. a few years. Yep. Okay. And awesome. I think my first my first table then was at it was at like the Phoenix Comic Con Winter Show or something. That's yes. Uh, I think, just I'm pretty started. sure of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I forget the name. <laughs> And then I did Amazing Arizona and then just continued to travel, did a bunch of shows, went all over New Mexico, Vegas, um, never got to Utah, but then just started traveling eventually all over to the East Coast. And I was at WonderCon and they talked to me and said that the showrunner said, hey, you should really come to San Diego this year. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's a huge... That's a huge thing. So I did go to San Diego, and that was an overwhelming experience. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. And and I think I cried a little bit. Um, I, <laughs> and I forget if it was that year or the year after, I um got accepted for a portfolio review with Marvel, which was super cool at the Wonderful. Show. And, oh wow. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. They pick like ten people during the course of the weekend that submit, and then they take them behind their big old booth. Like, wow. and when you go to the show, they have that huge Marvel booth and it actually opens and there's a door and you go inside of it and there's like an office room, a couple of office rooms. And so they give you a portfolio review there. And it was just a big, uh, big dream come true. I mean, yeah, it really hit me, it hit me in the stomach that I had given up art for so long, but then I finally like put my heart into it and decided to really go for it. Yeah. And I was drawing, You know, 20, 30 hours a week on top of already working 20, 30 hours a week all through 2014, 15, 16, 17, just drawing every chance I got. And it was paying off. So, uh, yeah, it was incredible.
0: Yeah, I find your art, um, I don't know how to describe it, but I I really do enjoy looking at your art. I think it's something very special. So you should be very proud of that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, Maybe Gabe, do you have a question?
2: What what were you drawing before you actually transitioned, uh, before you took that seven-year break? Before? What was I drawing before? hmm uh well you know a lot of
1: dragons <laughs> <laughs> nice. dragons are super um, metal
0: so don't worry about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah angels demons also um, super metal yeah it was it is <laughs> and I I'm kind of um I'm coming out with my own book karma in the awesome. next couple of weeks and there's all kinds of like weird creatures almost Jim Henson style cool. like a merge between Jim Henson and Disney. Um, I have a lot of fun drawing the kind of gross, weird stuff in, in a okay. funny way. You'll see when it comes out. It's a lot different. The work that I got in comics when I was being hired uh, for jobs, I drew mostly pretty women. That was kind of the thing I could draw well that they were looking for that I got hired for. But, but my personal artistic tastes go beyond that. I like drawing uh, witches and trolls and birds and just all kinds of things. So you'll see that that's what I drew when I was a kid, lots of animals. Lots of um, animals. yeah. Trees, things like that.
0: Tree interesting trees. Yes. Um, <laughs> did you make like demonic trees?
1: Um, I. I <laughs> didn't. Or like didn't. tree monsters, like trends? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't, but I'm kind of, I have a, a video. I haven't finished yet. It's like the evolution of me as an artist that I scanned all oh, of my old so- pieces when I was a kid and oh, I wow. put them all together in a little montage. I've been waiting till I came out with Karma to put my Karma at the end of it, but you'll if you know, you'll probably like that when it comes out. You could see the growth.
0: Yeah, it's always good to see the growth of an artist because it's like I think every artist has like their own like the way they see themselves 10 years ago to the way they see themselves now, right? And then you consistently change that and you're like, well, I used to feel very strongly about this and now I feel very strongly about this. And yet all of that goes into your art. And I think it's very, it's almost like refreshing to, to see that, right? When you look at yourself, you're like, man, 10 years ago, I was drawing, you know, whatever. But then when you go back to do that, you're just like, man, what a fun time that was, right? Like it was an experience that maybe you've forgotten about, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it does. And after I took that like seven year break, when I got back into it, and I was interested in comic art, it was a lot of and I wasn't used to that. I hadn't drawn a lot of people before. So I found human anatomy a bit difficult. And you can see my when I got back into it, I struggled a little bit. And I was really rusty. I could draw a dog, you know, just fine. But people were hard. I had to kind of learn that all over again. Um, so that was the biggest challenge for me. Now, I think I've learned people well enough. I can actually get back into the animals and like do, do all of it together now. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Come and now full your, circle.
0: your new book that you said is coming out. Is that going to be available nationwide?
1: Oh yeah. All over the country. Sure. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It'll who's, be who's publishing that. Me, me. It's a, oh, okay. a divinity comics is our publishing company. That's the name of it. So awesome. it'll be crowdfunded at first, which means anybody can buy a copy on the crowdfunded campaign. Got you. And I think they actually have the option to ship internationally as well.
0: Yeah. So now that you're, so let's fast forward now. We're, we're here. You have Vampire which is huge, right? Um, do you want, actually, yeah, just tell me about that. How did that happen? How did you get to be a part of that?
1: Well, that was, um, it, it was kind of weird because it happened right during this time of COVID. But um, I had seen a couple other artists do Vampirella pieces, and I really wanted to do one myself. Awesome. So I actually contacted Dynamite and said, hey, let me do a Vampirella piece. Awesome. I mean, <laughs>
2: really? Yeah. Just take it by the way. Yeah, I said,
1: I'm dying to do one. And I drew it up. I had the pencils pretty much already done, but it was like in April. And the the campaign itself just started 30 days ago. Uh, because we had to, we had to wait, everything shut down, the printers and everything for COVID. So I was just kind of hanging out there sitting like, Hey, can we do Vampirella? And they were all hang on, everything's closed. And then about two months later, uh, Nick picked it up, our little email chain and, um, said, Hey, yeah, let's do a cover ready to go now. So then it happened, ba ba ba, really fast. And um, I had already done the pencils and the colors in that time that I was just kind of waiting for everything to, <laughs> right, to open back up. They had seen the pencils already, but I hadn't finished the colors. So I got like two months to chill, enjoy doing that piece, you awesome. know, have a lot of fun. And um, then it ran a successful campaign. It's it made like eight thousand three hundred eighty-seven dollars. I yeah, think you got
0: funding like in three hours, right? Yeah, it's
2: the exact amount. Yeah. yeah
1: yep yep they got funded in three hours
0: I'm very proud of that because it's like i mean not to, not that many artists can do that especially for a character that i feel isn't super relevant like i don't mean that in a bad connotation but i feel like a lot of people don't really go oh man i can't wait to buy vampirella and i think it's amazing that there's still such an, an audience for it, willing to throw money at, at it to bring you know the, to celebrate the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. right it's a big deal i think
1: yeah yeah definitely yeah there are some for sure hardcore vampirella fans oh, yeah, and um yeah. Yeah. And I got to I got to talk to a bunch of them. So that whole campaign was really cool because it, it connected me to that audience, um, which I hadn't been connected to before. So that was special. That was really cool.
0: Absolutely. When it comes to Vampirella, were you like familiar with that property beforehand? Like did you read the old comics or
1: I don't know I haven't read much. I know what the story is. Okay. And I got a chance to look at all the art. Gotcha. Um, Sorry if there's background noise no, um, like all I right. said I just moved into my office <laughs> and things are like still a little not put together We're <laughs> but totally uh, fine. No I'm not I t- wasn't totally familiar with the storyline uh, but I read I read like the summary notes and it was cool. I got to talk to different people about like their favorite takes on the story and their favorite artists and then I did my own research looking at all of the old art. So, I mean, I'm a, I am ai was born in the 90s. Um, a lot of these books came out before I would have known totally about them. Like, right, you know, right. My husband's a bit older than I am. He's, uh, we're, I think we're nine years apart. So he got into a lot of the stuff before I did. When, by the time that I got into comics, I don't really know if that stuff was popular the shop that I went to at least. Gotcha. Um, so I missed out a little bit. But um, Jose Gonzalez, I discovered him as – he's an older Vampirella artist, and his yeah. work was amazing. He, oh, yeah. He's passed away, I believe. But um, him and then, um, like, Michael Turner, I got to look at his his yeah. art for, yeah, for right. reference for mine. And it's just that, for me, I'm coming from an art perspective. Sure. So – it's hard to have the time to read everything but as far as right. the art goes like I could just stare at it forever just going through picture after picture oh, yeah. after picture
0: yeah you're definitely a part you're like now that you're a part of this I mean, you're now going to be a part of you know a historical character I would say so
1: yeah, yeah it's a historical moment for her too I mean it's her 50th anniversary too oh, yeah. so that was really cool for me I it felt like that was an honor to that dynamite said yes because it was her 50th anniversary so that's definitely like a little box i've checked off now oh, yeah
0: absolutely uh cool when does that things. go on sale
1: the vampirella cover does it yes. go on sale
0: when does it go on sale
1: oh it was already uh the the campaign is already over it just finished like okay. uh 72 hours ago and um it's not available on demand not this one but i do have some copies okay like copies for me that i could potentially sell if i wanted to
0: (laughs) i was under understanding that it was going to be in stores i'm sorry that's my that's my mistake
1: Um, oh no that's fine you know a lot of stuff has been weird the past few months um with covid and getting things into stores or printing so i don't know exactly what they what else they would do with it um or but i think it's just really a campaign specific cover that happened
2: okay i would say right for those who are like specifically you know long time or just hardcore vampirella fans it was the opportunity for them to really invest in uh the character and yourself um out of curiosity what were the uh stretch goals that they unlocked because it got so much funding it got a trading card stretch goal stretch goal
1: at seven thousand so now everybody gets a trading card that backed it
0: that trading definitely- card, by you.
1: Mm-hmm. It's the oh, art, the, the same art. artwork that was on the cover, but in a trading card. Um, you know, it's like, like square. Yeah, a print of it with the little border and.
0: Oh, too bad it's not <laughs> like in a wax pack. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> like back in the day with a little stick of gum in there. Yeah.
2: Right. Like a, make it
0: retro style. I like that. <laughs> uh, awesome, baby Gabe. Do you have a question?
2: Um, I mean, after this, uh, what is it that you're looking to do? Maybe aside from, I know you're doing, you're publishing your own, but is there any other? Project that you would say I would love to be a part of.
1: Hmm, That's a good question. Um, it's tough because there are so many mainstream books that are great, but then again, there's a whole like other half that put of fans that are pushing back against mainstream that are unhappy with the content, and there's so much controversy. In, in there right now. I've uh, I've tried. I've gone around to a lot of publishers. I talked with Marvel back at San Diego in 2000, I want to say 16 it was. Um, and right after that, it's kind of like they went on a hiring freeze. That's my opinion okay. anyways. But I know they started outsourcing a bunch of work and I was hearing that their page rates had dropped. And um, there was another artist that I kept talking to And he was like, yeah, I've submitted, you know, like 15 pieces to Marvel. He went through the same portfolio review process that I did. And um, he's like, I call it the never ending interview where I just send them pieces and they look at it and they give me feedback, but there's nothing further. And um, I thought he was even a bit better artist than I was. And I was doing the same thing. I had sent a piece over to Marvel and that's the process. They give you like 15 Mm -hmm. concepts and then you do them and turn them in and they give you feedback and eventually maybe you get hired but um, it was looking like they weren't really hiring, <laughs> really. Right. And so I kind of like, uh, my hopes kind of sank at, after talking to that other artist and then hearing from other artists that things were kind of not as, there wasn't as much opportunity there as I thought. And um, there's it, just been so much drama in the industry, um, a lot of politics, a lot of politically biased people, just just to be honest, that um, didn't we, really uh, like my politics. So Can we I'm talk not, about that? Yeah, you're welcome to talk about that. Yeah, um, I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's, like I said, this is you know very much an open discussion, right? So, and when we talk to people, one of the things about our show is we like to talk about serious subjects and kind of get everybody's opinion on it. And we talked about it with other, you know, we had a New York toy artist, New ah, New York toy artist Sucklord, and I don't know if you know who that is or not, but Sucklord is a very opinionated uh, toy artist and. Uh, if you have a chance, you should listen to that episode. It's uh it's a good one. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we talk to a lot of people about different things, politics. You know, we we did a whole show about uh Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Um, it, in your opinion, what are the politics happening in comic books right now that you see?
1: Well, um I've stopped reading anything from mainstream that's come out. And sure. I um my husband and I opened up our own comic shop in awesome. um 2015 we closed it down 2017 in the spring I think it was as I was pregnant we were gonna have a baby and it was already enough stress as it was with all of the drama so I wanted to close it down and we did but um in that time it was truthfully one of the worst experiences to be involved in comics that I like I've ever had um I we just talked about how much I put my heart and soul into the work right after like right. giving it up, right. finding it again, feeling really inspired and then just going for it, working my butt off on top of the job that I had to try to make it in the industry. And what I found was there was a lot of bias against um, conservatives or Trump supporters. Okay. They're not always one in the same, but sure. um, I, myself was both. Trump, okay. I, Trump is kind of so, so in my book right now. He's not my favorite. But, um, like I would vote for him over Joe Biden, Uh, Mm um, but I'm a libertarian conservative.
0: Okay. And
1: so like the whole industry, for example, right now is pushing, really pushing black lives matter in support of it. That's something that's on a lot of people's profiles, Jim Lee's profiles, um, Gosh, I can't even name how many other people, you know, Gail Simone, Tony Parker, blah, 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 blah. Right, Just, right. Uh, yep. G- Jimmy Pomiati, who works on uh, Harley Quinn for DC. It seems to be a pretty left-leaning industry. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> being as as divided of a country that we are, trying sure. to find a job and break it in comics in 2016, <laughs> Right before the election was so difficult. There was a lot of um, a lot of bad experiences of people, peers, other smaller publishers um, talking smack about me because I was uh, open on my personal Facebook page about my politics. Sure, sure. No. I wasn't really in favor of the, the open borders. I was tighter on immigration. I was uh, not for abortion. And that spread like wildfire. You know, I'd see a lot of people say a lot of bad things about me. Don't work with them. We got trolled at our comic shop, actually. And it was very confusing then. It's obvious now that Black Lives Matter is what it, it is. It's such a big deal. But back in 2016, I'd never heard of Black Lives Matter before. Sure. And they actually found our comic shop and they were trolling it. There were people from Black Lives Matter posting false reviews. And um, yeah, it was really weird. Um, Like trans rights activist groups that had somehow found us and targeted us because we were conservative in a very left industry that was Mm -hmm. like spreading all this stuff online about how we were bad people. But may because I ask views, you, did you say bad. anything
0: negative about Black Lives Matter? You think? No. Okay.
1: No, I never said anything about Black Lives Matter. In fact, it was weird because we pushed the book Black that donated to Black Lives Matter in our store.
0: Yeah, it, it was like,
1: it was just really weird. If you watch the movie Hacked, it's on Netflix. Okay. It, it made a lot more sense, that experience, after watching that movie. It's um, the whole it goes over everything that was happening on social media at the time, right around the 2016 election and kind of the interference that was happening all around on maybe each side. It's, it's kind of open to your interpretation, Mm -hmm. but the basic principle is that social media could be used as a psychological weapon and was being very, very, it was very, very political targeting people to think in very radical ways. And I think that we were just caught in a wave, honestly, like we were just put on a list because we were outwardly conservative and we just started getting all this hate. And every time we tried to defend ourselves, it would, it would look like they'd go, Oh, well, you're the ones causing the problems. You're not allowed to have the beliefs you have shut up. Um, (laughs) it was just so weird. One guy told me, you know, you shouldn't talk at all about Trump. It's career suicide. Um, and people even throughout the term, that's a good way to get blacklisted or you are blacklisted or I will blacklist you because you have those beliefs. So, um, it was heartbreaking and bad for business. Mm -hmm. You know, people would, were going out of their way to try to cause us harm. Um, in much the same way, we've seen other businesses get hurt before. I mean, if you've ever watched the news, I'm sure yeah. you know that sometimes businesses become targets for social media harassment. Of mm-hmm. Yeah, of
0: course, especially considering the owner has certain beliefs. But I think just because just because somebody believes in whatever they believe in doesn't necessarily make them an evil or bad person, right? So it's like, just because you know so-and-so has very strong beliefs about Trump or, you know, Whatever it may be, it's like that doesn't necessarily mean that they're evil or bad or they deserve punishment, right? Because it's like we're all fighting for the same thing. We're all fighting just to live, right? So it's like we need to remember that, I think. Um, so I am sorry you went through that. I think that's something that nobody really needs to go through. Nobody needs to go through that because, again, we're humans and we need to remember that.
1: Yes, I, can- I agree. I'm really not – oh, can you hear me? Okay, good. Yeah, I lost I'm you not- for a second there. <laughs> oh, I'm ch- – yeah, sorry. My mic's being a little funny. I um, – I- I really don't wish ill on anybody, Sure, but I mean, it's, and I want to say at first it felt like it was super personal that they were just attacking me, but then Mm -hmm. I, you know, as time has progressed, we've come to sort of realize that it's the whole country. And now it's really the whole world. It's just, we're really all, we're all divided. I call it like a digital civil war as what we've because been in done. the past few years okay. with each other and there has been a lot of irrational nonsense where people aren't reaching out and talking to each other in compassionate ways sure. and saying why do you believe differently than I do oh exactly. well let's talk about it and yep. we're really missing that discussion and in 2016 I admit I was a little bit more combative than I am now sure now I'm a little bit more um Uh, softer with how I talk to people but it was just I think everybody got kind of caught by surprise in 2016 because out of nowhere someone would be like oh you're you're a racist or you're this you're that and and people have never been called those names in their life I know I had never been called that those names in my life so it was really shocking and people get on the defense and say no I'm not who are you get out of here you know (laughs) that was the whole tone of 2016 and that clashed a lot with the comic book industry which is very left-leaning and so I really did look like an evil person and people were saying like oh I can't talk to you anymore um or you know I can't have anything to do with you actually because you're like a bad egg now in the industry which I I just don't agree with um but I'm not alone there's actually quite a lot of conservatives that have gone through something like this and Mm -hmm. now that time has passed a little bit I find that there's quite a lot of people who are sick of the politics that are in the industry that are holding back good books. They really just want good comic books and to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. So they're all kind of vocal about it now. And it's, it's not so lonely anymore.
0: Right. When it comes to um, like that group, like you said about people who have um, conservative feelings, is there anybody else that you would say is a major player in bringing conservatism to comic books? No, no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like not in the mainstream. No. Okay. Um, I know that there are people out there that feel like they are silenced. Um, but it's very few and far between because they usually don't want to talk about it. Sure, sure. Um, but I mean, there are people that are are really breaking out with this huge wave of indie, indie books, indie markets, indie publishers, self-publishers, yep. like, yeah. Doug Apple with Earthworm Jim, mm-hmm. he's um, a Christian, uh, you know, and he has done really amazing on his crowdfunding. He made like $700,000 on his last Earthworm wow. Jim book. Um, there is Mike S. Miller. Uh, he also worked in the industry and he's kind of broken off now. He's also a Christian. He did like a MAGA, MAGA Trump book. Um, I forget what the name of it is. So Tim Lim is another one. Tim Lim has done really well. He's done um, 100 hundred, hundred days in office, or something like that. Or Trump's Space Force was the big one. And there's there's a few of them. Uh, Chuck Dixon, uh, Michael Barron. He did work on The Punisher. But as far as like people who are top tier, I do I can't really think of anybody that's still working yeah. in the mainstream on a top title that is outwardly conservative. I think gotcha. it's really kind of fractured into either you're conservative and indie or you're left leaning in the mainstream.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, I do want to be opening up front with you. Like me and uh, baby Gabe here are from California. So, you know, we are probably more to the left, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, where I think with us, it's always about wanting to hear what everybody has to talk about and what they have to say. And I think the big thing about that too is also stories like, look, if it's a good story, I'm going to read it. Like, you know, it is what it is. As long mm-hmm. as it's not outward hate, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be upset with it, right? Like, if you wrote a good story, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. It, to me, it's just like you're a great writer. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? Now, again, if you're writing something that's, like, very hateful, like, I hate certain ethnicities and races, yeah, personally, I don't think that's okay. Uh, right. But I, I, think-
1: I don't either. Yeah.
0: No, no, no I, Conservative,
1: no. yeah. yeah, conservatives are is not synonymous with racism. I think actually a fundamental belief of conservatism is to have everyone have an equal chance. and I mean, there's no reason to be racist. so no, it's not there, even. there's a right. lot of politics going on and definitions being thrown around. oh, yeah, you know, and I think it's above like what you and I personally personally believe. I think there's a lot deeper things happening in the world. so. I mean just because you're left leaning doesn't mean at all that we should have to disagree and not get along.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Of course, right, right. And I think that that's what it comes down to, right? And I know, you know, Californians a lot of us are, you know, more on that other side, right? So, and I get that. I think um my thing really right now in the world of comic books is that I I like the I personally I like the idea of seeing more diversity in comic books. And I think it's good that we're seeing more you know, ethnic people, especially, you know, I'm I'm Latinx, so it's very nice to see people of my demographic, you know, making comic books and stuff like sure. that, right? Um, so my question is, is what is your standpoint with diversity in comic books?
1: So I think the stigma there is that comicscape happens, and I don't know how much you know about that, but their whole thing was that they were against the forced diversity in comics um, where they were, the mainstream were changing characters that had already been in existence for a long time to change their race, change their gender, change their sexual orientation. And a lot of fans found that frustrating. And I saw that as a retailer because I'd be, I'd have books on the shelves and the people would go, this is crap. This isn't the character I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And I think at the heart of that. A lot of people just really missed reading the stories about the characters they originally fell in love with. It wasn't really about, or, you know, it wasn't about the hate for the race of that person. They were like, well, why don't you, instead of just recycling uh, the old material, why don't you create new characters? And a lot of people didn't have any problem at all with the diversity. They were just having a problem with, it felt so shoved in your face that it was almost like erasing history and it it was a bit uncomfortable for those people. Now, there are a lot of people in Commascate I don't like and don't get agree with. I have been harassed by that group myself as well. I've actually find it not it's not it does not align with conservative values that group. They are their okay. own, in fact many of them are liberal. I don't even really think there are many conservatives in that group. So I think there was a, there's a little bit of confusion sometimes because people mistake it for a conservative group and it's not. Um, they are their own group of people that do live streams and stuff like that. And I don't want anything to do with them. I've seen too many trolling, too many just disgusting behavior from that group. That's I'm, I'm out. I don't want to, you know, I don't even care about their whole diversity in comics. I think that was a little hateful to start out with. I would have as a retailer, I would not have even called it diversity in comic books. I, I called it changing the characters because, you know, I don't care about the race. Like that didn't bother me. Um, in my book, like, just like you said, if it's a good book and it's written well, someone could be like an oppressed black lesbian midget, you know, and I don't even care. Like if sure, it's a good sure. story, I'll read it. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Everybody it, it deserves to read a book about their own demographic or their sexual orientation, or, you know, a, a love story between a man and a man and a woman and a woman, if that's what they want. You know, I, sure. I am a libertarian conservative, which means, I don't care what anybody does as long as they don't infringe on my own freedoms and make force me to do something. I don't want to, I don't have any problem with diversity in comic books. Um, And in fact, I'm in my own story. I have a person from pretty much every continent in the world in my book. And I've really enjoyed that. Like I've used my own book as a journey to read about all kinds of different cultures and histories is I, I love history. Absolutely love history. So, I mean, I find it fascinating. I don't personally have a bias against one race of people or, you know, another, I don't care. Um, so these people though, that whole movement, the diversity in comics movement, I think was half of it at least was by a lot of hateful people that just wanted to kind of start drama and get famous online.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But
1: And and then the other half of people legitimately said, I am a long time fan of say like Iceman Mm -hmm. and Iceman was always the biggest pimp, always had women on his arms kind of thing. And then they made him gay and they were like, well, this isn't the Iceman that I was reading. So that for them, the character totally just lost its flavor, Mm -hmm. you know? And sure. and that was sad for them. So I think about half of the people were legitimately sad and were like, Well, I don't have a problem with diversity. Just why don't you make new characters instead of changing the ones I love? And then half of the people were like, Oh, let's rage about this online and cause drama. So
0: Do you think the reason why they do characters like that? Like Iceman's a good example, is because he's already uh, that established. Was be my so too. it's like yeah. yeah, so it's like um, you know, we're we're just in order to make a character that someone can relate to, is it better to use a character that already exists rather than just making a brand new character? Because as a comic artist, you know how hard it is to just release a book and like a new, a new IP. Right. And it's like, but if you have an existing IP and just change a little bit, then you create that representation. And it already has marketing that comes with it. That's a good
1: perspective that I've never heard before. Um, That's a good challenging question. I mean, for me, since I'm already kind of in the business of creating IPs and, while I wasn't drawing, I was doing marketing, um, creative marketing. Uh, so, I mean, branding is so important. It's kind of like if you had vanilla Coke, okay. And you sold vanilla Coke to everybody and everybody loved vanilla Coke for 20 years. And then you decided you were going to change it to cherry Coke. You would Mm -hmm. lose a bunch of people i mean you'd have the brand recognition people would know that it was changed to cherry you'd get that um recognition out there that there was a gay ice man there was a cherry coke but you would lose the people that enjoyed it and bought it for being vanilla does that make sense so i think it's better honestly to create a brand new character i think you would um I think what it requires is talented artists and writers to really make that story sell. It, they shouldn't rely on the IP alone to sell a character for representation. I think what they are missing right now is that the books, as a retailer, you know, I, I heard over and over again, the books weren't that good. So if they were at the sure. time that these changes were being made. So, um, I mean, that's somebody's you know opinion, of course, but I think maybe if they had really put more, talent on making a brand new ip for something like gay representation and they made like a huge awesome story surrounding it and made it brand new they would sell it they just it was almost just like a lazy attempt to ride off the back of an old ip when they could have made something really really cool that i'm sure a lot of people wanted to see you know Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with having a gay character Who cares, you know, but I mean, but changing it though, that was what upset a lot of people because now it's like, Oh, well, I guess I can't read this story anymore because it's not even the same character anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. Sure. Do you think um, when you talk about stuff like that, what about like, what about role What about role reversal? So Mm -hmm. let's say Iron Man technically now is, is really really Williams. -Williams, Right. So it's like, granted, she's technically iron heart but it's still I mean it's Iron yeah. Man right I mean at the end of the day it's Iron Man what do you think about the whole gender reversal I,
1: I personally I didn't care I didn't care about that I okay. didn't have a problem with that I mean um people uh, I think everybody needs to understand that the comic industry started just with a majority of men you know working in the industry mm-hmm. sure. and they drew a bunch of sexy women and they drew a lot of male characters as leads and I think it was um just a a thing that take took some time to grow if they wanted a female lead a female iron man now is a good time for it um i didn't really have any problems with the role reversals i think again you did have some people there was a female thor thor got changed yeah yeah that's right that were still a little unhappy because they still really wanted to read thor the way that they Mm -hmm. knew him so while i didn't um I think it was more of the the amount of times they were doing it within a small period of time. Sure. They did it to like three characters in the same year. And that seemed mm-hmm. a little forceful, yeah. you know? But I mean, a story standalone by itself, like uh, Riri Williams. I, I remember that cover when it came out. I had my shop open and we sold it. We were hyping it yeah. up, you know? We were like, cool, look at this. She's new. This is awesome. This is a piece of history. You know, I didn't yeah. personally have a, a bias against it. But I think when you do it, I mean, they were constantly like changing a character like every other month within a really short period of time, a year or two, a bunch of characters got changed. And so it was just shocking. Um, If I were them, if I was Marvel, I would have like continued on a story, maybe with the female Thor and the male Thor, like simultaneously or something. So Mm -hmm. you didn't have to lose that fan base.
2: Kind of have them run concurrently, but possibly like separate universes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think it was cool, like to have a female Iron Man. Because I mean, mm-hmm. who wouldn't want a, an Iron Man suit? Like, I'd love an right. Iron Man right,
0: suit. Right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, what I find interesting too about like the, the 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 changing of the characters, it's like to me the most successful one that comes to mind, in my opinion, is uh, Miles Morales. Right. Uh, Miles Morales is probably one of the most, probably truly one of the most important characters of the modern generation of comics, because he represents. Not just african-american uh, community but he also represents you know the latin community yeah. right so it's like you know i you know I, I'm, I'm latinx so it's like it's it's cool for me to say i have representation with that character right um, but having these diverse these characters that are diverse and whatnot do you feel that even though that people are doing this all the time do you think it should stop or do you think that we should just well do it's it already
1: often? been done I think that I think that a lot of the people that already that would have been so mad that they would drop the book have already done it. So I mean, I don't think it sure. it, it matters going back. It's not. It just it felt with all that was going on, people got the feeling that it was about being political, a political statement, and not yeah. actually about representation. And I find that that's a lot of where conservatives and um, like liberals or leftists clash is that conservative values are very simply like a very core principle of conservatism is to grow organically off of something and not reinvent the wheel inst- all the time. Okay. What happens when you just change thing out of the blue and say, this is the new, what should be done now. And all of that is wrong is that there's a lot of potential for somebody to come along and, uh, manipulate that for the wrong sure. reasons. And, uh, corruptness can kind of seep in the idea is to grow off of something organically and say, this works, this works, this works. Okay. Let's try something new, but let's build off of what we already have instead of throwing everything we know away and then starting new because that just opens up a can of worms. So um, as far as like the diversity that's already been done, I, I wish they would have just done it slower. That's all. I wish they would have just spent more time making the stories a little bit better. And then people would have adopted it more. Uh, It just happened so fast and it was so shocking that it seemed less like it was even about representation at all and more about politics. Like they were just trying to hijack the comics for politics. And that's why you get a lot of people that say that they're sick of politics in the comics. I, you know, and a lot of these people that are sick of the politics in the comics that have broken off from mainstream, they are Latino, they are black, you know, they are gay even there's a big LGBT, a bunch of people that I know that are sick of politics and comics that don't agree with even how they were represented. They even thought Iceman was like, was misrepresenting how they were as LGBT, his attitude they they thought were, it was too political and not even a fair representation. So um, you have all these creators that I've kind of surrounded myself with that are all working on their own books. um, And it's great to see. I mean, I think, If anything, this kind of break that has happened in in the industry has been a really good one in the long run, because now there are so many people that love books that are inspired to make their own. And there's this big indie revolution that's kind of happening. And you've got Latino creators, uh, Black creators, LGBT creators that are creating their own representations of how they feel they should be properly represented. So it's really cool, I think, in that way. I think Marvel and DC, again, I really think that they just should have created new characters. They would have avoided all the problems entirely. And and I think everybody would have been happy. There's no reason that someone of a different, you know, like sexual orientation or something should not have representation. There's They can have it if they want to. You know, I I think a lot of people think that it's a bigger deal than it was that people actually cared about the characters being gay. It wasn't really about that. It was about just taking what they had and changing. So
2: you you believe it's just a kind of like a mismanagement, a mishandling of how how they did it.
1: Yeah, it came off to too many fans as being too much of a political agenda being shoved down their throats, and, and not an a fair representation of what they uh, of who they were. It was like they were being used for a purpose,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but not actually um, respected, respected. Respected or
2: properly represented is just yeah using this mm-hmm. to say we have this type of character in our stories now, but not yep. doing it correctly.
1: Yep, I think I think that's exactly it. Like there was a thread that broke up recently that said um, in this Vampirella fan art group that was kind of surrounding me in my cover. And it said, um, hmm, Vampirella has never been a conservative character. Can you tell me what being a conservative Vampirella fan means to you? Like, And she was implying that being conservative and being a Vampirella fan conflicted. Because people commonly mistake conservatives for being religious. It's mm-hmm. not the same thing you know there are some conservatives sure. that work for Playboy as photographers. there are some conservatives that are hardcore like bikers you know with the pinups on their arms. it's it's not like a religious thing it's just that we believe certain, things differently um and then being a vampirella fan has nothing to do with being a conservative you don't have to be prude and be a conservative there's just a lot of misconception i think going on and people get so caught up in it hating each other that they forget that we can have these conversations and totally find a middle ground that doesn't present a problem at all right
2: i i think sometimes it's a concern of painting people with broad strokes You know, because you're conservative, you are this in my mind. You're liberal, you're this in my mind. When there are so many different, you know, uh, like crevices.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, conservatives I find are actually pretty open-minded people if you get down to it. And the Vampirella admin of the group who was talking about how conservatism wasn't compatible with Vampirella was getting actually a lot of pushback because, in fact, quite a lot of conservatives like Vampirella If you get back into that old like 80s, 90s kind of biker metal um, stuff, Evil Ernie, Lady Death, a lot of those people actually really are conservative. Mm -hmm. So there's a big fan base for Vampirella that is conservative. And it has to to someone like me has nothing to do with the other. Just like I would say, I really don't care if you write a gay character has nothing to do at all with it. To me, just, um, you know, maybe stay away from the characters that people already are attached to. same thing. Vampirella doesn't have to be dressed in like an Amish costume to be conservative. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, in the world of comics, too, now we're talking about diversity. I think the next big step will be talking about um, not sexual orientation, but sexuality in comics. So I feel like s- sexual images are becoming more consistent now in comic books, especially in the independent world. Like you have books like um, I'm sure you read or heard of Faithless. Have you heard of that one before?
1: Yes. Who's it by?
0: So Faithless, is, I, I, you know what? I can never say his last name because it's like Italian. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's written by I want to say Brian. I can't even say his last name because I'm going to ruin it. But it's, <laughs> and then uh, the artist is Maria. Oh my god, these Italian last <laughs> names kill me. <laughs> uh, baby, Gabe, can you? You probably can I'll, pronounce I'll it more than it I can.
1: Up, <laughs> yeah, I'll continue. look it up too. Yeah. let's see. I might know it.
0: I'm just not very good with a. Uh, it's because I have a bad time speaking, which is funny because considering I do this uh, show.
1: <laughs> if anything's Italian, um, you, I think they're a little bit more um, nude-friendly in Italy. So if you get an Italian name on a book, it's probably going to have a little bit more of a sexual tone into it.
0: Sure, but but I feel like comic books, at least like a lot of a lot of the independent stuff that I'm seeing from Boom, and because it's from Boom mm-hmm. Studios, mm, so Boom okay. Studios. And then I think image comics too. I just I feel like I'm noticing more of a, of a sexual like awakening. Like we're seeing a lot of sexually driven characters now. Mm. Um, You know, I feel like, and I'm not saying that Vampirella is a sexually driven character, but visually speaking, right? She she is a sexually
1: depicted charged character. I guess. Yeah, she's a vampire. She's a sexy vampire. Sure.
0: Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. Um, Is there a way to translate sexual content? without being overly overly like just overly dis into it you know what i'm saying like because if you read faithless faithless is very like there's penises everywhere there's um <laughs> on the cover there's literally an orgy happening on the cover um it's it's very intense very intense um and it's about an artist and that's that's the interesting thing it's about an artist trying to find her way through art and she uses her own you know she uses her own She basically uses her own period blood to draw sometimes. So it's like, you know, it's very, it's very in your face. So (laughs) is there a way, (laughs) is there a way to draw sexual content without deriving too much? If you will smut, do you think that's possible?
1: Without deriving too much? What you cut out there in the last,
0: uh, smut, you know, not being too, um,
1: I mean, I think if it's tastefully done, I mean, I actually have find myself in, in similar positions, uh, Because I do commissions and stuff and sometimes people want really sexy covers and that's really the discretion of the artist of how sexy they want to draw it. I'm drawing a bunch right now that a bunch of sexy covers. And um, I think that um, it's different though, when you do commissions for somebody and that's something that they want uh, that's in their like private collection versus you're putting out a title for everyone to see and it's all over the shelves and there's a bunch of penises all over the cover. That's a little different. Um, And now that you say that, I think you're right. I remember there was a book that was totally nude like that. It was like a porn scene on the cover that came out. um I think it was from image um it's
0: probably a sex criminals,
1: yes, it was sex criminals, yep. yes, yep, thank you. um <laughs> yeah. and then there was another one, American Gods. It's all about where they only have superpowers yep. when they have sex or something it's it's right, a little. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of sexualization. And it was a little tricky with having a comic shop because you get kids in your shop, right? So we would have to constantly like turn the covers. And I it's it almost it got uncomfortable once or twice, because it was almost like, if you put everything up, it looks like you're in a porn shop. And having sure. the kids come right. in is like, are, am I doing something illegal here? Like, because because yeah, right. I'm selling this material. It was that I remember talking about that in the shop, being like, "Is this even legal to like have this out?" <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's it, it's it's everybody's taste. Like again, if they were to start, if Marvel and DC were to start sticking um, everyone in speedos or completely nude, like Superman, Batman. If and the next cover of Batman, he was totally nude Um, and they did it like within three months all of the characters were all nude it would seem really forced wouldn't it it'd be like why are they all naked all
2: of a sudden it would feel like it (laughs) it comes out of nowhere (laughs) (laughs)
0: i think uh it's funny you bring that up about speedos and stuff i don't know if you remember or know this but do you remember marvel comics did a swimsuit edition every year do you remember that
1: yes i forgot about that Mm -hmm.
0: they were going to bring that back this year oh they decided they decided not to i don't know why but they decided not to so it kind of goes back to your point that i think marvel and dc kind of see these trends and they go okay because again i feel like sexual i shouldn't say sexual i should say nudity nudity or sexually more sexually intense images are becoming more common now. So what I think, you know, they, they probably saw that, Oh, okay. This is a trend. This is where we're going for. We should bring back the marble swimsuit illustrated. So they were going to, and there was actually like uh, pages you can find online that you can see. And then they just didn't. So I I don't know, maybe, maybe it is a part of that. Maybe it is a part of that conversation of like nudity is becoming more acceptable. Hmm. Sexual images are becoming more acceptable but i feel like if we're going to talk about like sexual content if we're going to have sexual content why not use that for a bigger a bigger thing like why not talk about like the realities of let's say even me too let's talk about stuff like that let's talk about real images real situations and you know let's i think in some respects in my opinion it is okay to feel a little uncomfortable when reading a comic book because then maybe it makes you see see something that you didn't see before yeah, yeah. so i, 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 I <laughs> we're where do you where do you fall on that? I guess. <laughs>
1: well, okay. Okay. I've noticed it, it. I'm working on a film actually right now, a documentary okay. on um pop culture, and, and um kind of this very topic is part of it we've noticed that the, the sexual content, it's not just comics. It's like, it's everything though, you know, it's sure. TV right. and it's movies and music. So I think it's actually part of a larger, a larger problem of um, all of this stuff being much more available to us and just kind of like pounded into our soft heads sure. all the time. Right. Um, I think it's a little bit demoralizing if, if it's everywhere, um. Uh, and the whole thing with the Me Too in comics, there's a lot, been a lot of Me Too's that have happened lately uh, with women speaking out against men in comics. Sure. Um, I find that one a personally interesting subject because I do actually have um, a, a period of my life where I was involved in a in domestically abusive relationship a long time ago. So, and I would, I would never have Me too the person that did it to me. Um, there's a very different like mental state there that you have to be in for the me Toos. Um, I spoke out recently and I got a lot of backlash for it, but then I got a lot of support from it too. Um, like about, about equal amounts that I think these women, um, are kind of not taught how to protect themselves. Um, and so, and being around all the nudity all the time, and then the sexualization of their, their bodies is is part of it on a kind of subconscious level. Um, sorry, I'm kind of interpreting that question in my own way. No, that's, way. that's fine. Um, but I,
0: I do have a, if you don't mind me asking you this, it's, yeah. why do you feel that women weren't taught to protect themselves? Not women, not all women, but-
1: yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Um, well, I had to go through it myself. I had to go through it myself. I had to learn it. Um, I think it belongs in a in a court of law. I don't think it belongs on Twitter an accusation because, um, actually, women are equally as abusive as men. And um, by outing someone, you can uh, you could be abusing them. It's uh, part of sure. abuse is isolating someone from their job their work their friends so it's a manipulative thing it could be just as evil as it could be innocent um and the women I think that there's just a large culture problem with women uh and I get I get flack sometimes for saying this but but then again like I said I get a lot of support I had to go through it I grew up really really Canadian left which is a little bit more left than the American left and um I personally feel I didn't receive the proper like woman education that you get of like hey uh, don't give out your phone number. Um, don't talk to a guy if he's going to hit on you and you don't want to go out with him. Don't talk to him again. Don't go out to lunch with him. Don't get in the back of his car. Don't go to his apartment. Don't go out drinking with him. And a lot of these women are doing these things. And then they're, they, they complain later that they got hit on or something like that, or they were, they were abused or maybe they were abused. Either way, they put themselves in that situation when like, if I would have had a heart-to-heart with me and my teenage daughter beforehand, I would have told her never to do those things. I think these women, no one ever told them not to do these things. I think it's a culture problem and, and I've seen it myself. I had to grow out of it. I used to be the same way as these women when I was younger and I didn't understand like the social dynamic between men and women and how it could be dangerous. I didn't realize what situations were red flags and what to look out for. And when you don't know these things, this kind of like wise woman knowledge of, of how to, how to act, what to do, what to avoid. Then you can very easily find yourself in a bad situation because the men that do want to do bad things to you can tell that you don't know just by talking to you, by looking at you, by seeing how you move, by seeing how you act, they know that you, you're you oblivious, that you're ignorant. And so you're an easy target. Sure. And then as a woman in that situation, it kind of makes all men look evil because sure. the only men really bothering you are those kinds of men, not the good ones. So it's almost like it's it feeds itself. It's a cycle that feeds itself. And I see it a lot with feminism. I see these women say these things and I think they just have taken it a little too far. I think that they, a lot of these women have put themselves in the wrong situation and they don't understand the other perspective. It, it just has a lot to do with parenting. It has a lot to do with a lot that's going in the ed- education system right now, the school system and what the the kids are being exposed sure. to. Um, so, I mean, that's really derived from my personal experience. And I can tell you from not having that that knowledge and then growing up as a woman pretty much alone you know i didn't really i my family and i stopped talking to each other to each other years and years ago um i had maybe one good friend and i just kind of struggled through the world by myself and i learned a lot of these things through difficult experiences and now i am where i am so having gone full circle that's le- legitimately what i think i think a lot of women are missing some some helpful information and through a heart to heart they i think they could see what i'm talking about too
0: now, if I can ask this um, in the situation of what you're saying, would you say though, like with some people, like, you know, I think I, this is not obviously the same thing that a lot of women have dealt with, but like look at people like Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a charming guy, good dude. You know, he, he would take you out, have a good time, whatever, whatever. And, you know, he built this trust. Uh, once he built that trust, he would then turn that trust against you and unfortunately do what he did. Now, in something like that, are you able to really see that coming though? Are you able to really because if because you know I could you could just be a standard person like David Gabe could be the nicest guy in the world and you know he seems like a great person and then you know three years later he ends up doing something yeah, right no
1: you're you're so right. there actually there really are those really, really crazy people there it's a small percentage though. The difference is I think a lot of um, the whole feminism, extremism mentality is that they paint all men in this way. They think it's like this evil patriarchy of all men. You're absolutely right. There are some really crazy people and I've known them. I've seen about two or three of those crazy people. And, and I've always said the real craziest people that you have to be careful of are people you don't know are crazy until it's too late. Course, that That yeah. is absolutely true. But you know, there's not a lot of Ted Bundy's in the world. You know, Ted Bundy was so crazy. He, he's Ted Bundy and and. There's been, you know, minimal amounts of people in the population proportionately that are like Ted Bundy. Most men are not like Ted Bundy. So you, yeah.
0: I I would agree with that. I would. But I will say that I think the idea of like pushing me to pushing everything else, right? It's like, look at at Harvey Weinstein. Probably one of the most disgusting, in my opinion, one of the most disgusting people on the planet. Mm -hmm. But that would have never... Nothing would have ever happened if Me Too didn't exist. Sure. Now, he's in that same level of Ted Bundy, right? Like it's like him, Bill Cosby. You know, these are icons. These are people who, who changed the way we saw comedy, the way we see, you know, movies. Like they changed all that. And to see that and to see that these people were like that and they do that, I think personally, there may be more of these people who exist and we can't do anything about it if we don't talk about it. Now I'm not saying we need to chant that every man is a is a scumbag, but I think, you know, I'll, I don't think every man is, but I do think a lot of men unfortunately have disgusting traits. I just think that's what it is, you know. I think, um, and I think that we, if we don't continually talk about it, I don't, I don't know if we will see anything change, you know. And I think, yeah, I sure, don't... it might not be the best thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you at all. This is, this is a good conversation. Another conversation again that that's much needed there's a big stigma uh, misconception about conservatives is that conservatives or uh you know people that lean more right disagree with you uh like me and I know a lot of other people just like me don't disagree with you at all it, it's it's just I think it's more of like a um an awareness that there is evil in everyone and that everything can be used And, and to just kind of in a more level-headed sense, talk about things and, and narrow it down instead of just going crazy with the Me Too, because I think some women now are using it for their benefit. Um, But I don't, I don't think the movement was all bad, you know, definitely not. And you're absolutely right that I think it was needed for the time to uncover a lot that was happening. Um, and it, it could have been uncovered in different ways. It could have been uncovered in journalism. It could have been uncovered by you know, someone going undercover and revealing it. It didn't necessarily have to be the me too, um, but it, it happened. I don't think it was all bad. Um, I think just with every single thought process, there's going to be those extremists. Mm-hmm. And I think with a more conservative mindset, you look at the world as uh, kind of mellow And then you see the extremist parts where like the women took it too far or the men took it too far or anybody takes it too far. Black Lives Matter took it too far or, you know, anti-feminists took it too far. The right, the crazy right-wingers took it too far. Um, And you just kind of like cancel all that out and you recognize it as too radical and you say, okay, stop. We need a discussion on this, a healthy discussion. Instead of just like jumping on a wave, a trending wave on Twitter, because damage can occur. Uh, But I don't disagree that the, you know, the Me Too movement, I, I have no, again, I I really don't have any problems with the Me Too movement. I had an issue with the recent accusations made by women because they were so silly in their accusations, in their own words. They said, I didn't like this guy. I gave him my number. I got in the back of his car and it's Are you
0: referring to anything specifically?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I, um- there's been like four or five women. Um, these
0: women are not in comic books, right? They're just normal.
1: They are. Comic. They are in comic okay. books, in the comic world. Yeah. They've attacked Warren Ellis, Cameron Stewart, uh, Sean Murphy, and a couple others. And I, I, I could go on my Twitter and find it particularly. But um, in general, like in every single one of these Me Too's that the women say, I think they made a mistake in their experience which, which is not on the Harvey Weinstein level. Harvey Weinstein was disgusting. All of that was disgusting. That would deserve a me too. But these women were, were, were literally like, I told this man, or I I didn't even tell this man, no, I felt uncomfortable. I kept making the wrong decision by getting involved. I went drunk to his apartment. And I still didn't say no. And then the man, and, and in every single case, the men ne- didn't even really touch them or say anything to him. They just hit on them. They said they flirted with them. And then the women were offended. I thought that just took it a little too far. It was a little misguided. But Harvey Weinstein and the abuse that happens in Hollywood in in, in the arts communities is disgusting. And I think uh, back to the point that we were talking about where women, um, the whole sexually um a lot of sexual content around us and it kind of feeds off itself and the women don't really learn. I think actually that is part of that problem in Hollywood and, and the women aren't taught to respect themselves. Like for example, the viewpoint of dressing um, in like little tops, right? On, on a left leaning perspective, you want to say, Oh, that's empowering. The woman should be able to dress however she wants on the right leaning perspective. You say, well, Um, dress more modestly because you're going to bring attention to yourself if you dress that way. And people on the left say, well, that's offensive. You know, um, men can dress however they want and women should be able to show their skin if they want. And it's one of those things that's like, yes, you can, if you want to, sure. But you have to understand if you do do that, you're going to attract the wrong type of guy that maybe you don't want around you. It's, it's kind of about respecting yourself to say, be careful. Just, it's about your safety. You know, it's not about trying to say you shouldn't do what you want to do. It's about being safe because there are those Ted Bundys out there. And the people in Hollywood, they, the whole media arts in general and entertainment, they really don't focus on that. They kind of throw that under the rug and they, they think that women um, should just be really outward with their sexuality and they don't take that responsibility into account. And I think what results from that are the Harvey Weinsteins, because that, that makes a breeding ground for people like that to prey on these women. And the women don't know any better because they were taught that they should flaunt their body with no consequences. But the truth is there are consequences. There are those Ted Bundys and Harvey Weinsteins out there. You have to be careful how you present yourself.
0: But then on the flip side, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say that, or what, I mean, I I don't know. The way I see it is that on the flip side, shouldn't a man just know not to be like that? Like, shouldn't he know
2: I was actually going to teach base on that. Like you, so many, you, you talk about how it's, it's a cultural thing, you know, that some women aren't, uh, taught, you know, these proper, let's say methods on how to act. Could you also say that it's a cultural thing that men aren't taught how to treat and respect women?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just a, it's not just a women problem, you know, like I think, I think all things need to be considered and I think it all feeds on itself. Something I've noticed with, um, a lot of politics nowadays that are in the real activist mode is that they create the problems that they need to fight against. It's like a self-objectifying thing. Like the women, the woman, she'll dress in a very, very tiny outfit. And she says, oh, that man hit on me. And that's disgusting. He's disgusting. I should think of all men that way. You know, that's a bit of a generalization in, there sure. in that situation but mm-hmm. but that will happen and the point is it's in her mind that she already thinks that the man is up to no good and so she projects that onto them i think that happens with everything uh i had an in-depth video on uh, my cure to racism on my youtube channel and i studied this uh and i've i've read your some YouTube books channel is, huh?
0: your youtube channel is oh uh
1: just mindy wheeler art youtube.com oh. forward slash mindy wheeler art and i think it's i think it's just something with any situation that if you have it in your mind, you're going to see it. Like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's a little bit of a perception problem where people uh, sometimes think there's more racism in the world because they expect it. They hear it on the news every day. They see it on their, their Facebook feed every day. So they're expecting people to re- be racist. And sometimes they act outwardly anticipating racism from people who aren't, and it creates an awkward situation. So a lot of these problems I think in today are just in people's heads when really most all people just really want to get along conservative liberal not so with the men um yes i think there is a culture problem there's actually a lot of problems that are happening with young men um and uh, if you look at it from a feminist point of view you will say that um there's patriarchy there's this and that but there's actually um a lot of men's rights issues Feminists will tell you that, that those, those issues are not as important, but there are a lot, a lot of important men's rights issues. The boys have a way higher rate of suicide than women, by far. The men have a, a huge amount of workplace-related deaths because these men are working too hard um, to support the women. The men are, um, just have higher depression than the women, by far. Uh, fatherlessness is a key factor in all of these men's rights issues. There are a lot of things going on with men. And so, yes, definitely. There is a culture problem there too. I think it's kind of a, a culture problem. Um, (laughs) in a lot of different aspects, the men, I think that the fatherlessness causes men to not, um, well uh, fatherlessness leads to a lot of criminal behavior the families that don't have a father are extremely more likely to the, the boys don't do well they don't do well in school they get involved in crime there's there's so much happening there too so they should not be ignored but as far as like the men are all Harvey Weinsteins no I don't think so but if you see a young boy who's depressed as as many of them are who's um maybe on the verge of suicide or, um, you know, dropping out of school because he doesn't have anyone to encourage him to go to school. He doesn't have a father. And then he meets a bunch of women that, that get in his face and call him an evil, an evil patriarchal man. How does that men perceive that woman? What's it going to do to him? He's going to think that all women are evil. And then you're going to start to develop breeds of men that really are hateful towards women. Do you see how it kind of like feeds on itself?
0: Yes. And the only reason why I struggled to answer there was just because I can only speak from my perspective and for me as a person, right? So for me and my person, I've always, again, for me, given what you just told me, it's like, yeah, I see that. But at the same time, I can't, I have, as I grow older, things will change. Right. And I would have to imagine that not everyone is like this. I have to imagine that even though I had that one experience, that it won't be like that down the line. Does that make sense? Well,
1: that's, yes, that's your hope, hopeful, uh, spirit talking. The problem is with this, this new generation of kids, all the younger generations than us. I've um, been doing a lot of research on it for my film. They are less and less hopeful by the day. You know, the depression rates up for both genders are, are skyrocketing. Um, they are having, they're less hopeful than what you just said. A lot of them would, I think would say they don't feel that way. You know, they wouldn't think that it would get better. They're, 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 (laughs) they've been treated horribly economically, the millennials, because of their previous generation. They're hard pressed for work. There's a lot of drama going on with the millennials that they, I think they have a different perspective than we do on life. And um, they are not as hopeful, which is sad. So when you push these problems on them, And you just kind of turn everybody against each other like, oh, all these women are, you know, oppressed. And yet they're sitting there telling the man who actually is oppressed, you know, maybe he's he's lost his education or or something. These these are serious. These are real men problems with the young boys. They, They are having real issues with this. And then they look at the women who say that they're so oppressed. It creates hostility. And the other way around, because maybe the man isn't as nice to the women, and the man starts saying something he shouldn't. And yeah, there's definitely a generational cultural problem with these men who are not treating women right either. And the whole thing feeds on itself. It, it, it and it breeds the same problems that they're fighting against. So it doesn't actually solve anything. I do agree that there needs to be conversation about everything, but um, I think we have to be careful about. a perception problem of casting a wide net on any kind of gender race um sexual orientation and calling them all something saying that one gender is oppressed one sexual orientation is oppressed i think we are in need of looking at people through individual lenses instead of constantly dividing them through political identities i think it actually just causes more problems in the end
2: because you're more looking at their political views or their gender than the individual. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah.
1: I think I think uh, we're having an issue with grouping everything and joining groups, whether you're a feminist or an anti-feminist or this or that or comic skate in comics or not comic skate. They call it anti-CG. I think there's, there's a problem on both sides where we are constantly dividing each other into groups instead of talking to each other as... In individuals as individuals that just want the same thing. We're not even acknowledging that we want peace. You know, someone with Black Lives Matter will go up now to a white person and say, you're inherently racist because of your race. And I think that that is a racist statement saying someone is a, is a certain way because of their skin color, white. So it's this constant division I think is really hurting us. I think that all of the political identities should just be kind of shut down for a day. And we all just have a discussion and say, well, what do you want? Well, it turns out that most people want the same thing. They want a strong economy, they want to get along, and the whole thing with uh growing up as a raging democrat and a raging democratic family is that I saw a lot of the bias against conservatisms firsthand. You know, they um there there's a prejudice that conservatives are stubborn, that they don't want mm-hmm. progressivism, which is I think a misconception. It's not that conservatives don't want to progress and don't want people to be treated fairly. It's just the how. It's the how they want to do it. And um, you know, the left often thinks of the right as um disrespectful um gun-toting really really military happy uh Mm violence uh prude religious strict Mm -hmm. and since finding conservatism myself i don't see any of those really to be the case at all i think it's a really gross misunderstanding of what people believe in
2: right and uh i because most of my like close family uh, and some of my friends are more left-leaning and i do see and i've gotten more used to pointing out when they are brushing with broad strokes for someone who is conservative or if someone is religious that they are conservative and i'll I'll usually just make the statement you're generalizing again because it it's not it's not that simple and i do think you're right when you say you know a lot of us we want the same things it's just we think about different ways to to get to that, that same end point. Mm-hmm. It's just a difference in ideology or a difference in perspective. And I do agree that we should open up conversations more between, you know, in the US it's a two-party system. So between, you know, two, two parties, both parties in order to have this conversation and have some sort of common ground. But uh, for example, I am, you know, I would say I'm more left-leaning. I am, you know, more progressive. However, my wife and I are in the process of renovating a home, that uh, she inherited and to see all this stuff that this interference that goes into building up a home that a property that is yours I don't like it I I, I think it's almost like double dipping because you're pl- you're paying sales tax on the parts and the labor
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that you also have to pay taxes on just the property just to have that built for permits yeah that's not you know that's not nowhere near like exactly what we're talking about but it's it's my own personal example that I have on where i was before to how i am now taking different ideologies and kind of having my own identity
1: it's funny you say that as as a libertarian the libertarian part of me believes in small government Mm -hmm. because i think that um government doesn't need to be involved there are some conservatives, uh, some Republicans. The thing about Republicans is that they're more of a larger government. They, that's what they believe more so than someone like me. I'm a libertarian mm-hmm. conservative, so I believe in small government. Um, right. There are different varying degrees of anything. But I think of if you take apart conservatism and you get down to the core, I've noticed there are two like core ideologies in the political philosophy and it changes throughout the ages. You could go back in history and conservatism meant something else then than it does now. Right. And I think actually I'm seeing a lot more liberals, um, liberals, LGBT uh, people, um, people of color, people of all over the world that are uh, in my group. I have a group called conservatives in the arts and they're not conservative, but it's like the political spectrum is actually shifting because they disagree with the how of how everybody's trying to push the progressiveism, ism um, And like I said, they feel like they're, they're LGBT, but they feel like they're not being properly represented, that it's all just a political ploy. So I think, again, we're in a time where conservatism is actually kind of shifting um, a little bit. But the core principles of conservatism, is, in my view, is that uh, there is a belief of like, kind of good versus evil, almost. A, mm-hmm. I would say it's like a chaos versus order. In my head. Okay. So, and, and that goes hand in hand with the second core belief, which is that things need to be grown slowly and organically. So a good example of the whole, um, chaos versus order is that, um, the, the saying innocent before proven guilty, right? That's, Mm -hmm. uh, conservatives kind of believe, um, that everything should be guilty before proven innocent. (laughs) I'm not talking about in a court of law. I'm saying when a new idea comes up, like, hey, we should change all the characters to be gay. Um, Everything is kind of seen in my view as guilty before proven innocent. Like you have to prove it to be a good idea before I will adopt it because I don't want something to be a bad idea and then cause someone damage. So I would say, wait on that. Hang on, hang on, wait on that. Slowly, organically, slow growth. Let's change one character to be gay and see what the reaction is. And guess what? If people don't like it, even the gay people don't like it, then that's not a fair representation. Let's go slow. Let's see what the feedback is. And maybe it's better, we'll find out after we do it, that it's better to create a new character. And they will be happier with that. And then we could give the LGBT community something they want and deserve. Okay, the other side of it, the um, more chaotic uh, side of it, um, is let's change all the characters to be gray and gay in a six month time span, whether they like it or not, because we feel like it. And then guess what? It creates all of this chaos where people say, I don't like it. I hate it. You've got people, groups on Facebook saying, ripping up comics saying, I hate diversity in comics. And it's ridiculous. It's a more chaotic mindset. And that, that is the more innocent until proven guilty where it's like, we believe that anything that's oppressed, anybody that oppressed should get the upper hand, kind of like critical theory, if you're familiar with that. And um, and it, be, it should definitely be given the time of day. Who cares if it causes an issue? That's like the opposite. You, and I hope I'm understanding that in a way that makes sense to you. But I really think that mm-hmm. is, it. if you bury it down to its core,
2: conservatisms are about order and our slow growth.
0: We're actually going to wrap it up a little bit. Maybe Gabe had one more thing he wanted to touch on.
2: Okay. I just wanted to touch back real quick uh, in regarding the the Me Too movement, the the Ted Bundy and Harvey Weinstein. I feel uh, it's just a thought that came into my mind that I wanted to express that I feel we should make the importance of differentiating these two men or these two types of men, because Ted Bundy is a was a social chameleon who was adaptable to any situation. Like you baby can, game. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Let's Yes, let's please keep comparing me to Ted Pony. This will go great. <laughs> but someone like Harvey Weinstein, who may or may not have been charming, I don't know, judging from what I've read, maybe not less so. He was more of a person in a position of power who had this power that he used to suppress people. So it's not really an apples-to-apples comparison. I just wanted to make that statement so that, for my belief that, there are more than just someone like Harvey Weinstein or someone like Ted Bundy, that there are varying degrees of of dangerous, dangerous nonetheless, but one could be more dangerous because of the power that they hold or the sway that they have over people, which is the reason why like a lot of this Harvey Weinstein stuff came up because of the fact that all of the claims against him were being suppressed by the people uh, in his company.
0: Well said, baby game. Thank you. Not so baby anymore. <laughs> um, so with that being said, I do want to wrap it up. At the end of each episode, we ask every single one of our guests or us as well. We basically ask, what is your comic book recommendation for our audience to read? So without further ado, what comic book do you recommend our audience to read? That's
1: a good question. I mean, I'm partial. Can be anything you want. I'm partial <laughs> to Spawn. I really like Spawn. Um, and just the way that mcfarlane drew it like the first issue and the first couple issues Mm -hmm. it was really revolutionary at the time because he did a bunch of things that hadn't been done he started breaking the panels and making them the the speech bubbles all kind of wonky and stuff and it was just a cool turning point in comics when image comics was created and um boomed and so i really like reading those old image titles i'm not a liefeld fan um but spawn out of that time period and the darkness, I think, are really cool. I love the way they're drawn. Um very cool period in history of comics to study. So that would be my Absolutely. recommendation.
0: I want to touch on that really fast. You said uh, you're not a Lightfill fan. You know what? Honestly, I'm not either. <laughs> like and it hey, baby game's gonna hate me right now because Baby Game's a diehard uh Deadpool fan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something else.
2: I, I'm a fan of the character. I'm not too big of a fan of the man.
0: I mean, I don't know. I think he's he a bit of a jerk. That and he's a little overhyped in my opinion. Like he's, don't get me wrong, obviously he, he created Deadpool, one of the biggest, most mm-hmm. possible characters of all time. Totally. But I think, I mean, but look how long it took for Deadpool to get where he was, right? I mean, I remember being a kid, you know, in fifth grade, reading these comics, and like nobody knew who this guy was. They were like, "Oh, who's that weird Spider-Man?" You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then he became or the uh, the Deathstroke ripoff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's like it took so long for him to get to, and really, it's because of fucking uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds, I think, that really mm-hmm. blew him up into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I, I, because I, I know right now, Lifehold's doing the um, the GI Joe Snake Eyes um Is he? and it looks yeah it looks cool but it just looks like Deadpool in you know in gi joe i don't i don't know that's just my <laughs> opinion
1: <laughs> yeah some artists will carry their style into other characters and it kind of looks the same
0: totally okay. totally totally but anyways uh mindy thank you so much for being on our show it was a, a very good discussion I, a very healthy discussion i feel uh we would love to have you on maybe one day in the future if you're up to that Sure. Yeah. Thank um, you
1: guys for having me. And, and thanks for talking so in depth about these topics that most people don't want to get into like in a positive way. So I appreciate that. I think more of this kind of talk is needed and we really don't disagree on much in the end anyways.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I agree. I that was a very good, a very enlightening conversation.
0: Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So thank you so much, Mindy. I hope you have a good day. Okay.
2: Yeah. You too, guys. Thank you so much. It was good to
1: meet thanks you.
0: So I'm going to meet you too. Take care.
1: All right. Bye. All right.
0: bye we <smart noise>